0: Or send an email to openline at EWTN.com.
1: A tremendous Monday to each and every one of you. Thanks so much for tuning in to EWTN's Open Line. Father John Tregilio is in the house for the time being. Waiting to take your phone calls. The number to be on the program is 833-288-EWTN. That's 833-288-3986. If you're outside the United States and Canada, that number is 1205 271 2985. And we'll even put you straight to the front of the line at 1205 271 2985. You can always send us an email. That email address is openline at ewtn.com. I'm Jack Williams, Michael McCall producing the program. Your call screener is Matt Gubensky and Jeff Burson handling our social media efforts. So, if you're watching us on YouTube or Facebook Live, you can type a question into the chat window and it may find its way to us by the end of the program. And our host, as he is every Monday, Father John Trigilio. And Father John, growing up in the Midwest, as I did, um, we certainly knew there were things in the air during the changing of the seasons because we would, you know, feel it physically. Um, when I moved to Alabama, I learned that you can actually see the pollen. Uh, I have a, a, a photograph we had, some, my late wife Susie and I uh, had some glass top patio furniture out on a deck and I, I wrote pollen, what pollen, in the pollen that was on the top of the table. and I post that picture to friends and family this time of year, but the, uh, I didn't know there was pollen in Maryland.
2: Well, actually, I got this new phone. I was in California. Ah, well, there you go. That happens. It's so. They rained for two weeks, and everything popped out.
1: Being the trooper that you are, uh, <coughs> letting nothing stop you. I'll, I'll try not to make you laugh because I know that that's not. Yeah. That's not a good situation when you're uh, feeling the way that you are. We've got some emails here. One is from Sabeth, and she says, "Hello. When we venerate the cross on Good Friday, should it be a cross?" Or a crucifix? We had a cross.
2: Ah. Well, there was a time when I was newly ordained back in 1988. Uh, I'll be celebrating 35 years of priesthood this coming May. When we were newly ordained, there was a, a push to just have a cross. And uh, I remember having a discussion with the pastor about that. But then that was revised, and uh, a communication came from the Vatican saying that it should be a crucifix. I know some parishes still use the cross, but, um, you know, it'd be better if you have a crucifix because that's the whole essence of Good Friday is that Jesus died on the cross. And as Catholic Christians, that's a, a perfect symbol of uh, his sacrificial love for us. And uh, so I would say that that would be the better way to, to do it.
1: 833 288 EWTN's our toll-free number. Um, Steve says, is it sinful to throw away religious printed material such as an Advent or Lent prayer book, church calendar with religious images or prayer cards?
2: Well, um, uh, religious books um, are a category by themselves. Certainly uh, a Bible, uh, any statues or medals, uh, they should not be just thrown out in the trash. Uh, they should be buried or uh uh, given to the local parish and they can uh, dispose of them. Uh, A book, like a prayer book, um, I know sometimes people just inherit them. Um, Someone in their family dies and there's all these prayer books and that. It may not be uh, logistically feasible to have them all burned. Um, I would not consider that uh, sacrilegious if someone uh, threw those away. But uh, certainly you would want to treat the Bible... Uh, as something special, and I would not want to ever do that. So uh, a Bible would be in the same category as a statue or medal in my estimation.
1: Um, Justin asks, why do Catholics require and encourage infant baptism despite it being a sacrament of faith?
2: Well, it's a sacrament of faith, but the faith is given to the child, even though the child is not cognizant of the fact that they're getting the gift of faith in the same way the child was given a name uh, by mom and dad and they had no participation in that decision uh, likewise their nationality their legal status as a citizen was given to them without their consent so to speak and at some point when they are a full grown adult they can renounce that they can have their name changed they can renounce their citizenship uh, they can, God forbid, re- you know, renounce their, their, their faith. But they need some identity growing up. And most of all, the sacrament of baptism uh, washes away original sin. It makes one a child of God. It's an infusion of sanctifying grace that allows you to receive the other sacraments. So to deprive the, the child of the sacramental grace of baptism, which would then prevent him from receiving the Holy Communion, and receiving the sacrament of penance and confession, prevent them from getting confirmation. All these things uh, make it quite clear that it's to the child's advantage uh, to be baptized. And we see this in the scripture when it said whole families were baptized, not just the adults, but even the children.
1: All right, do you ha- put your ecumenical Beretta on, please? Oh, I got one nearby. Gerald <laughs> writes in. Is it true that all denominations work together to build up the Church of God?
2: Um, I would say, to an extent, I mean, uh, certainly um, Dominus Jesus, uh, that um, uh, Pope Benedict uh, was instrumental in in writing, (coughs) makes it clear that (coughs) outside the Catholic Church, other Christian communities participate to a degree. Uh, in the spreading of the the kingdom. Certainly, um, you know, they have sacred scripture. We have sacred scripture and sacred tradition. Uh, We have seven sacraments. Uh, Most of them basically have two. Um, There's the belief, certainly the, the shared belief that Jesus is the Son of God, our belief that he rose from the dead. So there are ways in which the other Christian communities can participate in that. It's just that in the Catholic Church, we have the fullness of grace, and the fullness of truth. And the other churches participate to a degree insofar as they uh, participate in that.
1: Edward wants to know if we have a personal relationship with the saints.
2: Uh, we can, and we should have a a relationship with the saints because they're human beings. In the same way I would have a relationship with my mom or dad, my brothers or sisters, neighbors, friends, um. The saints are what we call friends of God, and they're our spiritual brothers and sisters. So I know everybody, ha- typically, uh, Catholic Christians have a favorite saint or two that they go to regularly, and not just for particular things like St. Anthony when you lose something, or St. Joseph when you want a, a house sold or, or purchased. But this idea of having devotion, like a lot of people have devotion to Padre Pio, Um to uh, St. John Vianney as a parish priest. So having a personal relationship with a particular saint, again, in no way, shape, or form, diminishes our relationship with Jesus because we believe the saints are in heaven and are enjoying enjoying the beatific vision, so they're personal friends of Jesus as well.
1: And then Kim wants to know... um, this is we'll get this one for the month out of the way here. Is uh, she wants to know if it's okay for a Roman Catholic to attend a same-sex wedding or pride festival?
2: No. That's the simple answer is <laughs> they should not go to these things because your attendance can convey the wrong idea that you condone that you support that uh now that being said, that doesn't mean that you know we show any animosity disrespect or hatefulness to people that uh disagree with us but the same token um you know we have to follow the the laws of the church and the natural moral law
1: 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number it's a free telephone call anywhere in north america 833-288-3986. 833-288-3986. Straight ahead, we'll talk to Richard in Ohio, Martina in North Dakota, Linda in the great state of Nebraska, Callie is in Arizona, Joel in Waterloo, Iowa, Layla in the great state of Minnesota, and hopefully we will talk to you as well. 833-288-EWTN. That's 833 833- 288-3986 and if you're outside the United States and Canada we'd still love to hear from you. That number is 1-205-271-2985. It's EWTN's Open Line Monday with Father John Trujillo. EWTN's Religious Catalog is your online destination for gifts and holy reminders. Buy Catholic. Shop EWTNRC.com today. And receive regular emails from EWTN.com's Religious Catalog. You can just simply visit EWTN.com and click on subscribe. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. 833-288-3986. First up today is Richard in Cleveland, Ohio, listening at EWTN.com, a first-time caller. Richard, you are on with Father John Tregilio.
3: Hi. Uh, my question is, since uh, St. Dominic and others uh, never ate meat or anything cooked with meat, could uh, veganiz- veganism uh, dispose us for a closer union with Christ?
2: Um, I wouldn't say that it does uh, de facto. There's nothing intrinsically um, wrong with with eating meat or or fish. It's just that some saints uh, made that uh, personal uh, mortification uh, choice. But then there's been other saints who certainly have have uh, not observed that who have eaten meat, have eaten fish. Um, obviously, they kept the laws of fast and abstinence when required. So, I would not make a spiritual uh, extrapolation on uh, veganism or vegetarianism or anything like that. Um, You know, if someone's motivated to go in that direction, that's fine. But, uh, you know, other people, and I think even doctors would advise too, especially, you know, uh, if if a lady's uh, pregnant with a child, they want to give them all the nutrients. Uh, I know we have some seminarians here who are avid hunters and fishermen. And I know they, they're close to the Lord, uh, and they're they're enjoying the, the copious fruits there.
1: Thanks so much, Richard. We appreciate the phone call today. That opens up a line for you at eight three three two eight eight E W T N. That's 833-288-3986. We head next to Beulah, North Dakota. Martina is listening on Rio Presence Radio. Martina, you're on with Father Trujillo.
4: Hi. Thanks for having me on. Um, My question today is kind of a broad question. I've recently been speaking with some Mormon missionaries in my area, and I was just wondering if you have any advice on how to converse with them and share our our rich Catholic faith in a limited amount of time.
0: (laughs) Oh,
2: that's a good question. (laughs) I don't know if I have an answer to to that question. Um, Interesting enough, you know, the 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 Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints the Mormons have uh, one of their local headquarters right across the, the way maybe a couple hundred feet from the uh, Diocese of Harrisburg our um, diocesan offices there and we have a nice amicable relationship with them, always very friendly um, when you've got Mormons coming to the house, I mean certainly if you want to s- open up a dialogue with them, have a discussion um the thing to keep in mind is you know they regard the book of mormon on equal uh, footing as sacred scripture the bible and we as catholic christians obviously uh, don't uh, embrace that um certainly um a protestant christian would wouldn't embrace that either uh they certainly regard jesus as someone um holy and uh, their idea of the trinity is is so different that that's why um, many years ago, I think it was 20 years ago, uh, the Vatican de- declared that Mormon baptisms were invalid because they almost believed in the, the three gods as opposed to one god and uh, three persons and one god. So uh, what kind of discussions can you have? Well, certainly where we can share, um, they believe in this, that the scriptures, the Old Testament and New Testament, are are valid. It's just that they add on to that. The Book Mormon. So, certainly looking at uh, sacred scripture. Uh, the, at the foundation of the church. Uh, Thou art Peter, upon this rock I'll build my church. Jesus saying, You must eat my flesh and drink my blood. Uh, these are all things that uh, certainly would be a springboard. Um, I know there's a number of books out there, Mormonism and uh, the Catholic faith. So, I would suggest, you know, uh, reading one of those that might be a big help to you.
1: Yeah, and also another good thing you might want to do is if you visit uh, EWTN's uh, website at EWTN.com, if you click on the search tab, we have some very good shorter articles about uh, the core beliefs that the Mormons share and, and how you might address those with them. And also the good folks at Catholic Answers have got some good tracks on uh, how to speak with Mormons as well, and you can find their material at catholic.com. God bless you, Martina. We'll keep you in our prayers for sure. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. 833-288-3986. Linda lives in Omaha, Nebraska, or at least she's calling us from Omaha, Nebraska. (laughs) I shouldn't assume too much. She's listening on Spirit Catholic Radio. Linda, you're on with Father John.
5: Hi, Father. My question is, when Jesus was going through his passion and his mother was there, did she know he would be rise uh, up three or four days later, or did she not know that?
2: Okay, that's a very good question. We do not know to what extent the Blessed Mother had uh, details. Certainly, Jesus had prophesied that you know, he would die and on the third day rise again. So this would not have been a secret. Uh certainly Our Lady would have heard that, certainly from his own lips, but also from his disciples. She was certainly friendly with um with the apostles and the disciples. Um to what extent I don't I can't envision that she was there looking at her sundial or hourglass or something, saying, Oh well we only have so many days left, and then he'll he'll be back. Yet I'm sure she was aware of that. And any good mother is going to certainly be filled with sorrow and anguish and grief at the death of their child, even though they will know, like Martha and Mary were, were distraught at the death of Lazarus, and yet both of them said, we believe in the resurrection of the dead. So I don't think that takes away from Our Lady's sorrow, Um, knowing that her son would would rise from the dead. So I certainly believe that that she knew that, um, but she certainly uh, has a truly human nature like you and me, and certainly a motherly heart. So I'm I'm definite that she was sad on Friday and Saturday, and then Sunday rejoiced with, with the rest.
1: God bless you, Linda. Thanks so much for the phone call today. 833 288 EWTN. That's our toll free number. It's a free phone call anywhere in North America. Next up is Joel in Waterloo, Iowa, listening uh, at EWTN dot com. Joel, thanks so much for holding. Welcome to the program. Thank you very much. I appreciate the chance to ask my question and hello everybody. Father, what is the uh Uh, difference between drinking blood
2: in the Old Testament and drinking Christ's blood? Okay, well, Christ's blood is obviously something sacred because he is a divine person. And he told us to drink his blood, to eat his flesh. In the Old Testament, the drinking of human blood um, was forbidden because there had been no purpose to it and it would have no effect. And in fact, Um, In Old Testament times, even at the time of Christ, there were some pagan rituals where the drink of human blood was part of uh, idolatry, uh, pagan worship, um, which is forbidden by the first commandment. Jesus, in giving us his precious blood, the beauty is that we do drink his blood, but it's under the appearance uh, of wine. It looks like wine, it tastes like wine. Um, Again, that's not just an accident that allows us to do this easily, but also so that nobody would confuse and say, we need to have uh, human sacrifices. Uh, Human sacrifices uh, do nothing, but the sacrifice of Jesus, because he's God and man, was was efficacious. It was salvific. Uh, It redeemed mankind. Does that help, Joel?
6: Yeah,
1: I, I just kind of thought about animals as well, the difference between not being able to drink animals' blood from pork or such. Is there a difference there?
2: Yeah, with animal blood, the, the prohibition in the Old Testament was more for pu- ritual purity. Uh, that's why, you know, they there were certain animals they could not eat, but also the drinking of blood. Um, there's a, a sausage made out of of, of blood that you know I, I had when we were in Italy recently uh, that's no longer forbidden because the new dispensation remember when in the Acts of the Apostles when St. Peter had that dream of the food coming out of the sky uh, he was told to eat and he said no I'm not going to eat foods that's forbidden and uh, the old dispensation was dissolved so we can in a sense uh, consume uh, byproducts of, of, human, of, of animal blood um, like with sausage and other uh, things like that. It's just the pure drinking of animal blood, particularly if it's a ritual, uh, is something that's forbidden.
1: God bless you, Joel. We appreciate the phone call. You know, you didn't have to go all the way to Italy for a blood sausage sandwich. You could have went to the south side of St. Louis and they would have got you hooked up, Father. Not as
2: fresh. <laughs> the
1: great uh, yeah, the great St. Louis Cardinal Stan Musial used to tell s- the story about that when his contracts back in the day were coming due, he would... Go out to lunch with Mr. Bush and have a blood sausage sandwich and sign a new deal. So eight three three two eight eight E. W. T. N. is our toll free number, eight three three two eight eight three nine eight six. Um Layla is a first time caller in the great state of Minnesota, listening on Rio Presence Radio. Layla, you're or Leia, excuse me, you are on with Father Trujillo. <laughs>
4: Hi, Father. Um, I have kind of a silly question, but I've always wondered this, and I've been waiting for people to ask, but they haven't. Um, You know, when they say uh, when Jesus comes and he's going to raise the dead, um, what if the people have, you know, that died have tattoos on their body? Does that affect their risen body?
2: Uh, No, because um, when Jesus comes back, presumably the people who have died who had tattoos... They've turned to dust. There's no tattoo left at all. Um, Any blemishes, scars, uh, the resurrected body, the glorified body, and that we're speaking of the ones who the souls are in heaven, uh, your body will be transformed like Jesus was on Easter. So there's not going to be any skin tags, no birthmarks, no scars, no tattoos, uh, full head of hair, no eyeglasses, no cavities, you name it uh all perfection uh you don't have to worry about now the ones who are going who are uh, unfortunately whose souls went to hell their bodies might have all kinds of disgusting tattoos maybe they didn't have any when they were alive but they might get some uh, in the afterlife so you, you don't have to worry about the shape of your body when you're being buried
1: 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number, 833-288-3986. It's EWTN's Open Line Monday with Father John Tregilio.
0: This is Open Line on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network.
1: 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. 833-288-3986. Still plenty of time for your phone calls. We head next to San Antonio, Texas. Kathy is a first-time caller listening on Guadalupe Radio. Kathy, how are things in the Republic?
5: Hey, uh, uh, they're pretty good. (laughs) <laughs> it's a nice day. Yeah. <laughs> I will <won't> say that. <laughs>
1: What's your question today?
5: Well, I'm hoping I can say it right. So, um, in, in the Creed, we hear about, you know, the resurrection of the dead. And so our bodies are resurrected. They will be resurrected. But then in the mysteries of the rosary, we hear about Mary's assumption. Like, she cannot go into heaven on her own, she's assumed into heaven. So I'm wondering how then, like, we'll have God, like, <laughs> I guess, divinity, like, so how are, how are we resurrected? And she was assumed. Can you just talk about the difference, I guess?
2: Okay. Well, there are two different functions, two different actions going on. Assumption is that Mary's body was taken up, body and soul, to heaven. Jesus' ascension is that he took his body and soul to heaven by his own divine power. So Jesus ascended, Mary was assumed. The resurrection refers to the coming back to life of dead people, having their souls and their bodies reunited. Uh, The resurrection comes before being taken up to heaven but we do we do not resurrect on our own power uh any more than uh Lazarus was resurrected by his own power Jesus resurrects the dead and then the good folks uh are assumed up to heaven uh the bad ones get cast down into hell with their bodies so Mary's assumption refers to strictly just the, her the act of her being taken up to heaven um, the Church has not solemnly defined uh, whether she physically died or just fell asleep. Um, great Popes like Pope John Paul the Great and Pope Benedict have speculated that she probably did die, but it's not an article of faith because in the Eastern Church they refer to the dormition of, of Our Lady the falling asleep. However, all the rest of us who do die physically, there will be a moment in which we call the resurrection of the dead at the end of time when the second coming of Christ takes place and that act of being resurrected will come just before then the action of being taken up to heaven does
5: that help Kathy okay so yeah what I'm hearing is that um, like assumption is your body and soul are resurrection is your body and soul are separated and they come back together, and the assumption is the body and soul are still together. Is that the difference?
2: Yeah, it, you're, you're, you're pretty close, yeah. It's just that it, uh, A comes before B. So A, you get your body and soul reunited in resurrection, and B, once you've been put back together, uh, you're taken up to heaven if, if that's where you belong.
1: Thanks, Kathy. We appreciate the phone call today. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. Lynn is in North Dakota listening on Real Presence Radio. Lynn, you are on with Father John Tregilio.
4: Well, thank you for taking my call. Um, I'm not really sure how to phrase this, but the question is, if a Catholic couple gets married by a priest, and then uh, there is an affair and a divorce, but during the, after the divorce and an, an attempt to get an annulment, if you discover that the priest who married you had been stripped of his can, can, canon rights, um, and I don't know why, but when that because it wasn't recognized by the church as a um, of of a as as a Catholic wedding, it was just recognized as a civil wedding. Does that make an affair committing adultery?
2: Whoa! Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um if a priest had, did not have the faculties to marry someone, that had to be at the time of the wedding it's nothing that could be done uh, after the fact if, uh, for instance, I have the faculties to uh, marry a couple and if we follow the canonical form, uh, they get married in church and they do everything that they're supposed to do uh, then they're sacramentally validly married in the church if the priest uh, is one not a priest? Let's say he wasn't validly ordained, or two, he lost his faculties. Maybe he misbehaved, and was uh, suspended or laicized. Uh, he's not able to do any any weddings. Um, a couple that's not validly married, all right. If they uh, then the marriage uh, breaks up, they get divorced. Um, it would still be considered uh, the the sin uh, of adultery where uh, it's an injustice to the the state of marriage. Um, Fornication is any sexual activity outside of marriage. Adultery is uh, a sin against uh, the union of marriage. So um, it's a fine distinction, but it's certainly one that that we want to respect.
1: Got an open line for you for the first time today at 833-288-EWTN. That's 833-288-3986. Julie is a first-time caller in Louisville, Kentucky, listening on Sirius XM channel one hundred and thirty. Julie, you're on with Father John.
4: Hi, thank you for taking my call, Father. I have a question. Um, I'm a a convert to Catholicism in two thousand and fifteen, and you know, prior to that, uh, I was married, and my husband passed in two thousand and nine. So when he passed, you know, I had the family plot uh, and went ahead and got us a gravestone like mm-hmm. together. You know, he's on one side and there's a place for me on the other side. So at that time, we were a part of the Methodist church. And so I had a Bible verse put on there from Isaiah, I think it's 40, 31. Mm-hmm. And it, you know, I had put on there King James Version. And anyway, I didn't, I didn't do anything like with, any kind of Catholic icons or anything like that and, and now it's like I just feel like um I want to share and express my Catholic faith for when I go mm-hmm. and I'm wondering do is there something what should I do? Should I I mean I don't know that I can afford to replace the entire marker. Yeah. You know, but I feel like there's like I'd like to have some way that I can um, like I said express my change and my belief and, mm-hmm. and, and I don't know, do we have those kind of things? I, I really don't know. I'm, uh, you know, I, I, I just, and I don't really know, I don't know of any other, like, Catholic, I know like, there are Catholic cemeteries here in my city, mm-hmm. but, you know, I can't say I have a lot of experience with that. Yes. And I'm looking for some advice for that. Okay. Or, <laughs>
2: well, I'm glad you called, and first, first of all, you do not have to get a new grave, Secondly, you do not have to get anything done to your tombstone uh, if you can't afford or you just don't want to. You're not obligated to put any particular symbols or verses on there. Uh, you got that uh, stone in, in good faith, and at the time, you know you were uh, of the Protestant Christian faith. Um, no, no problem there. Now, if you want to add something, uh, maybe uh, a, a, a statue of Our Lady can be. Uh, added there, or um, a symbol uh, of, of the Catholic faith, maybe a little rosary or something like that. I know they can go to the cemetery and add things to the stone. You don't necessarily have to go through the whole expense of having the whole thing redone. But if that's even too costly, you could still add things uh, things to that area. A lot of cemeteries allow you to put a small statue there. Or you can have, like I said, a a rosary either etched into the stone or maybe applied to it. But even if you don't do that, that's considered a a proper grave. You do not have to worry. You're not doing anything wrong uh, in being uh, interred there.
1: Father, could she have a a, a priest or, or even, I think a bishop is usually who consecrates grounds at cemeteries. Could just her grave be consecrated by the bishop or by a priest?
2: Oh yeah, and when when she's when she's deceased, which I hope is many 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 years from now, uh, the priest or deacon uh, blesses the grave uh, when they're about to put the body in there. So uh, the, we do that uh, at every cemetery we have a, a funeral at. So any priest or deacon at the committal services, as we call them, can bless the grave, uh, the plot where where she will be buried.
1: Does that give you some comfort, Julie?
4: Yes, it does, and I didn't know about that, and so I can, you know, I can leave that information to my son, but I, you know, I also can get a little foot marker, you know, because my husband has one, so I can tell him to to put, like you said, Our Lady or something on there. That would, that would give me some, I mean, that would make me happy, I think, if he he resolved on that, so. Oh, yeah. That's good to know, too. I didn't didn't know about the blessing of the the actual grave site, but if you have a Catholic funeral, I guess that's
2: part of it. Yeah, it is part of it. Yes. And uh of course we've had instances where people get buried or their funerals in a different place. They move like say to Florida or wherever and then they move they ship the body up just for the burial part. But even then a priest or deacon would would bless the grave at the interment services that would take place at the cemetery.
1: It's part of the package, right, Father? It is. God bless you, Julie. We appreciate the phone call. Next up is Nick, a first-time caller in the great uh, the Commonwealth of Virginia, listening on Sirius XM Channel 130. Nick, you're on with Father Trigilio.
3: Hello, Father. Good afternoon. How are you? Hi. Hi. Um, my question is, so I am new to Catholicism. I'm actually new to Christianity in general. Wow. Um, and for so the first time, I've, the last week I've gone to Um, Day, morning Mass, and I just did my first uh, Sunday uh, Divine Liturgy, because I've been going to a Byzantine Catholic church. It's very small in my area. Um, And my question is, there's a large uh, Latin uh, Roman Catholic church in my area also. Uh, So my priest is going out of town. He's got to go to New Jersey for something the next three days. Can I attend the Latin Mass? The, at the local Catholic Church, also, or is there? Yes. And I can do that. And then my last question is interchangeably, let's say I want to do that on a regular basis today, because they do a, a Monday at 9 o'clock. And if I can make that, can I interchangeably go to Byzantine and Latin yes. Masses?
2: Yes, you can. Okay. You can go anytime. You do not have to change rites. You can go to Latin Mass, uh, English Mass, extraordinary form, ordinary form. Uh, divine Liturgy of the Byzantine or any of the Eastern Catholic, any uh, rite that's uh, in union with, with the Holy See, you can go anytime you want and receive Holy Communion. So it's not that you can only go to the that the rite that you were assigned at the time you came into the church. Now, when you get married, that's a different matter uh, Then they want you to follow the rite uh, that you are for the sacrament of, of, of matrimony, um, but in terms of going to Mass, to Divine Liturgy, you have free reign. You can go anytime, as many times as you want.
1: 833 288 EWTN is our toll free number. We head next to the great state of Indiana. Brian is on, listening on Catholic <coughs> Radio Indy. Brian, you're on with Father John.
3: Greetings, Father John. How are you? Okay, so. Yes, uh can you guys hear me okay? Yeah, go right ahead. Yes, uh my qu- uh question to Father is Father, does the church as a whole uh recognize uh the possibility of existence beyond this planet? Like uh angels, but I figured that, but like extraterrestrial aliens from other worlds.
2: Yeah, the church has not made any uh decision definition On whether or not there's life uh, on other planets it certainly would seem reasonable that it's uh, possible Um, we have no hard evidence so far that there is but that doesn't mean I mean with the laws of probability that there's probably planets somewhere else in the universe that can sustain life the question comes in then um, uh, are these life forms are they uh, human Uh, If they have a body and a soul, it's a rational soul and a free will. That would be a human nature, which may not necessarily look like us because our human body, uh, you know, that's one component of us. And yet, as we know, human beings look a lot different from each other to begin with. So if there is life on another planet and it's intelligent life, um there's a good possibility that it has a human nature, even though they may not call themselves that. um, Then the whole question of, you know, did Jesus die for them? Those are all speculations, which we only have to really worry about when they do finally establish that there is intelligent life uh, out there. But there's nothing that would contradict um, Catholic dogma or doctrine on that.
1: Um, We head back to the Republic of Texas. B.B. is a first-time caller listening on Sirius XM Channel 130. B.B., you're on with Father John.
6: Thank you. Good afternoon, Father. Um, I was recently in El Paso, um, another wonderful city in Texas. Um, Went to Mass, um, and during the consecration, um, when you normally would hear the priest say, gave thanks and gave uh, the bread to his apostles, and then again when he says he gave the, the wine to his apostles, the priest changed that wording to say that he gave it to his friends. Gave the bread to his friends and then again gave the wine to his friends. My understanding is that the priest is not supposed to change the wording of the Mass, and especially not of the consecration, so I've been going crazy wondering if this, has, if this is okay or if the changing of that wording has uh, invalidated the consecration or am I just getting upset for nothing?
1: <laughs> Say yes, the black, um, do the red.
2: <laughs> um, first of all, the priest is not allowed to change the words, but for validity, for it to be a valid Mass, for it to be a valid Holy Eucharist, that the transubstantiation takes place, the minimum is that the priest must say, this is my body, uh, this is my blood. Now, um, with those other words that you were talking to, um, there was, I believe, uh, in some of the Eucharistic prayers outside the the four we generally know, there was a translation that used the word friends instead of his apostles. Uh, that was approved by the Holy See, so that's, if that was the prayer that, uh, that the um, priest was using, uh, then there's nothing wrong with that. I don't know if that was the one he was using, however. If he's using one, two, three, or four, then he has to say exactly what's in there uh, in in the text. Um, now, if he's using some of the optional ones, because there, there are two uh, Eucharistic prayers for reconciliation, and there's some other Eucharistic prayers for various needs, I believe that there's like four of those. Um, they even had some for, for children. Yeah. Um, again, you have to go by what the text says, and uh, without knowing if which one that particular priest used, um, but I have seen that phraseology, where it said he gave instead of to his disciples, to his friends. Um, that may have been an earlier translation. Maybe he didn't get the newest um, text, because... Uh, Pope Benedict revised the translation, so now we have the third typical edition of the Roman Missal. That's the one that should be used, but I know some priests didn't get, I don't know, they didn't get the order from downtown or whatever it was. They're <laughs> still using the, the uh, older one, but um, so I would not be too worried or concerned, but ask the priest. There's nothing wrong with you saying, Father, I just noticed, you know, uh, what, what prayer are you using? If if you do this in a very nice uh, kindly way without it automatically sound like hey what's the matter with you are you doing something illicit here um it may not be illicit so nothing wrong in asking him
1: you know there are there are a bunch of prayers out there father aren't there approved eucharistic prayers there
2: like i said yeah you got the first four that we're, t- we're familiar with you got two reconciliation ones you've got four various needs and then there's uh, i think two uh uh, for children. Yeah, I've, that's I've, just in the I Latin have, right.
1: Yeah, I've heard this verbiage uh, several times at, like, all school masses, at parish schools. Uh, so it may be in conjunction with one of those uh, one of those masses for children. God bless you, yeah. BB. We appreciate the question. 833-288-EWTN. That's our toll-free number, 833-288-3986. Anna is a first-time caller in Miami, Florida listening on the EWTN app. Anna, you're on with Father John.
6: Hi, Father John. Thank you. I have a question. Is um, When Jesus was crucified, he had the good thief and the bad thief. And he told the good thief that on this day you will be with me in paradise. And um, my aunt and I were back and forth. Because in the creed it says when he's died, buried, and on the he went. He died, he went to hell, he died, buried, went to hell, and then was on the third day rose again. So did the good thief go to hell with Jesus, or did Jesus spend three days in hell and then go to?
2: Uh, well, um, uh, first we want to make the distinction that uh, when the creed says he descended into hell, it was not the hell of the damned where the devil and the reprobate lived, this is the hell of the dead. like where Adam and Eve were, and Abraham, and even good St. Joseph, nobody could get to heaven until uh, Jesus died. Now, his death on the cross is what won us salvation, so the good thief could have, I mean, chronologically gone to heaven that very day, because Jesus saved the human race on Good Friday, Uh, or he could have waited until... um, our Lord let everyone out of of the bondage of, of death. Um, you know, the church has not been too specific on chronologically exactly at what moment. He just said, you'll be with me this day. Uh, is it a day, 24 hours? Uh, you know, it, it, the word day can have, have, have a couple of, of meanings there. It's not necessarily a, a chronological 24-hour uh, concept there. But yes, our Lord is the one that allowed him to get to heaven, and he's the one that freed all those who were waiting to get to to heaven.
1: Linda is in Corpus Christi, Texas. She is a first-time caller listening on Guadalupe Radio. Linda, you're on with Father John.
4: Yes. Um, My husband died a year ago. He was buried at the Veterans Administration Cemetery. And... uh, we had a mass at church, and then a deacon came to the VA cemetery and conducted a service, uh, not right at the grave site. They have a little area for gatherings at the, at the cemetery, but not at the grave site, at the grave itself. That was not allowed, is not ever allowed there. And I don't know whether...
5: Uh, It's necessary to inquire about uh, having a priest or deacon bless the grave itself? That's my question.
2: Okay. Well, that's a very uh, logical uh, inquiry because, you know, I've done a number of funerals uh, when I was in my diocese of Harrisburg. We have um, um, a veterans' um, 14-in-town gap. We have a veterans' uh, cemetery up there. And I know people, friends of mine, priests who are nice in Arlington, they've been to the um, Arlington uh, Cemetery there. Um, typically, uh, the bishop or a priest will bless all uh, the Catholic graves at one time when you have such a, a, a structures as a national cemetery. Um, because, as you said, uh, they're not allowed to go directly to the individual plots. Uh, so there's a generic blessing that's made upon all the 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 catholic graves there uh that being said when um at any time if you still want i'm certain i'm certain any priest or deacon who's available would be more than happy to go sometime during the year and bless the grave individually too it's not necessary but i know uh if i had the time and opportunity i would be happy to do that for anyone
1: and just in the minute or so we have left here, Father Beth writes in, I recently went to a Catholic church that had low-gluten hosts and alcohol-free wine for the celebration of the Eucharist. Does this affect the Eucharist in a negative way? Does it matter?
2: Uh, no, there has to be some very negligible uh, content of gluten, and it cannot be just non-alcoholic wine. It has to be mustum, which is the grape juice that's used by vintners to make wine. So there's a very, very small amount of uh, alcohol there because otherwise it would just be grape juice but uh, that's what it's considered valid matter
1: and in 45 seconds tell daniel how he can explain that
2: the early church was the catholic church because thou art peter upon this rock i'll build my church and the successor of saint peter is the bishop of rome
1: <laughs> there you go very uh, saint thomas would have been proud of you right now father with that thank uh, you with that explanation <coughs> um the um even Deacon Harold Burke-Sivers, our good friend, will ask Siri who founded the various denominations of the churches, and they'll give, uh, she'll give him names of various men at various times, and then he'll ask her who founded the Catholic Church, and she'll tell him Jesus Christ.
2: So, wow. There's AI for you. It's
1: very impressive. Exactly. Father, would you leave us with a blessing?
2: Bendicavos Deus, Pater, Filius, and Spiritus Sanctus. Amen.
1: Amen. On behalf of our host... Father John Tregilio, our producer, Michael McCall, our call screener, Matt Kubensky, and our social media maven, Mr. Jeff Burson. I'm Jack Williams. Thanks for tuning in. Just getting started on the week uh, here on EWTN's Open Line. Father Wade in tomorrow talking faith, family, and fellowship. Father Mitch on Wednesday talking church teaching, um, ancient languages, and the like. We'll have Father Brian Milady, Dominican Father Brian Milady, in on Thursday and our very own Vice President of Theology, Colin Donovan, on Friday. Until we get together with Father Wade tomorrow, God bless.